everyone. This is Maggie. And this is Maddie. Welcome to Saturday the 14th. Your favorite horror movie podcast. At the very least, a horror movie podcast. Which hopefully you enjoy listening to. It's my favorite horror movie podcast. I think it's mine, too. There are a couple good ones out there. Yeah. Well, come on, Maddie. Jesus. I should believe in myself you more. Get, yeah. If you're the co-host, it has to be your favorite. You're right. Okay, this is my favorite horror movie <laughs> podcast. <laughs> So anyway, welcome back to another week. Welcome, welcome. How have the last two weeks been for you, Maggie? Um, you know they've been okay. I've seen a couple movies. Um, what have I done? I got bangs. You do have bangs, I have and bangs. she looks great with them. I feel really. Uh, I feel like a like a better person now. Meanwhile, I just got sick the day after Halloween and have stayed sick the entire time. Yeah. Which is great. I think my body was like, we're going to give you all the energy you can possibly have until it doesn't matter anymore. Because really, all I needed was Halloween. You live for Halloween. I do. Your body knows. My body knows. You also got another cat. That's, I did. That's pretty cool. Little Anya is really cute. My cat needed a friend. And now he has one. Her name is Anya. She's tiny and meows a lot. She's pretty cool. I like yep. her. I think she's good. Also, since I've been sick, I went to CVS earlier this week, and while I was there, all this like Halloween stuff was 50% off. So my boyfriend and I got these kind of great $1.50 skull glasses, which we are ne- which I now want to drink everything out of. Yeah. So that's also where I am at right now. It's been good. Things have been going great. Definitely. Doing good. And so, today, we are back to talk to you about another horror movie. This time, we're throwing it back. To The Omen! Yeah, 1976, baby! Yeah, I'm pretty sure we said the wrong year last week. But Did we? That's okay. Well, who has time to be accurate really? about things? We do when we're talking about that movie. If we start talking about the next movie and we're like, it came out in 2025. Don't trust us. We don't know. We don't. We don't. But this week we do know we do, a lot we, we about the Omen. We researched it. We actually did our job. Yeah, I mean, it was a great supernatural horror movie that came out in 1976. It was directed by Richard Donner. It was written by David Seltzer, and it stars Gregory Peck as Robert Thorne, Lee Remick as Catherine Thorne, Harvey Spencer Stevens as Damian Thorne, Patrick Totten as Father Brennan, and David Warner as Keith Jennings. So, Keith Jennings... Not the same guy who won the Jeopardy. No, no, that was Ken Jennings. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That was Ken Very similar name, though. They are similar. I was, you know, I was thinking about him the other day because we were talking about that new Jeopardy guy. But that new Jeopardy's guy, the Austin, was his name Austin? Austin. I think his name's Austin. I liked him, but now he's gone, too. Well, he's on the Tournament of Champions right now, actually. I think. I don't know. I haven't actually watched Jeopardy in a while. Yeah, I haven't I don't have live TV anymore. No, me either. I miss it, though. Reddit, man. Do they have streams? No, just there's someone who takes it and puts the episodes on Reddit every single day. Cool, cool, cool. That sounds illegal, but I'm down. Speaking of illegal stuff. Killing children. (laughs) Don't kill your children. (laughs) Yeah, so I think that's the big moral of this week's episode is don't kill your child because you have a fucking crazy nanny. I personally think that the moral of this episode is don't adopt a child without telling your wife. That it's not the child that she just gave birth to. And then try to kill him. And then also don't try to kill him. All true things. Honestly, pick I your think, nanny better. Um, maybe pick your nanny. Don't just let any woman who walks into <laughs> your house become a nanny. If she brings a dog into your household without your permission, <laughs> maybe fire her. All right, so what happens in The Omen, Madeline? So it starts off with Gregory Peck, which... 
you know, is Atticus Finch. Atticus Finch. From He's the, still looking good in this movie. I'd be does. honest with you. Like, he aged well. He has great eyebrows. He does. They're very dark. His hair is very gray. He, Apparently he was, like, semi-retired before this movie came out. He's and a silver fox. To join for this role. But, yeah, so Gregory Peck as Robert Thorne is on his way to go see his wife, who's currently in labor, and he gets to the hospital and finds out while the son, his son was born alive, he then very quickly died. And the priest there convinces him to instead adopt this other baby. Whose mother reportedly died in childbirth, and so he's all alone in the world. And no siblings or anything like that. Exactly. So, obviously... Robert is in a sensitive state to begin with, and so he's convinced that if he adopts this baby and doesn't tell his wife, then she won't have to deal with knowing that she gave birth to a kid that then died. Which is a bad idea. Yeah, like, you should tell... Just, I mean, this whole movie, you should just be a better communicator in your in your relationship. Have conversations. Don't make decisions by yourself. Yeah. This was the 70s. It was 40 years ago. But still, like, even 40 years ago, we had the power of communication. Yeah. I feel like even 40 years ago, a woman deserves to know whether or not the child that she is taking home is the child that she actually had. Because, like, adoption is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. But everyone involved should know that the adoption is taking place. It should be, yes. like, a surprise it's not for like, anyone. oh, well, he looks just like your son looked. Okay. Also, yeah, they were like, you can see the resemblance. It's a baby. Every single baby looks the same. Also, the baby had a lot of hair. That's that Satan genes. Yeah, Satan, man. Satan's got everyone... strong genetics. Yeah, good, strong hair from birth. All right, so obviously this doesn't end up going super great for them. Um, A few years later, we see that he has been appointed ambassador to Great Britain, and the family is moving abroad. They move into this awesome house. Absolutely beautiful house. They definitely have sex in that library. Yes, they go into this room, and she's like, it's called a day room, but it needs books to warm it up. And he agrees, and then he looks at her, closes the blinds, and says, maybe we should go upstairs. And she said, there isn't any furniture upstairs either and so they clearly just bone in the living room yeah she like takes her coat off and like drops it on the ground and then he's like ha 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 and then but it fades to black but like they're a nice little family i will say she also bought the house without asking him which i thought was funny because like he makes these huge life choices without involving her and then they get to the house and he's like wow it's great and she's like cool i bought it and he's like okay let's go have sex in my library yeah he's cool with it Yeah. And honestly, like, Damien's super cute at the time. He has this adorable nanny who is really sweet. Yeah. She's cool. She's fine. They seem like a really happy family. There's this beautiful music. There's this scene of them walking by, like, a lake or something, and Damien's pulling along this weird fake dog. I don't know if they just couldn't afford a dog or if they just didn't want a dog. I just think they don't want a dog. Later, they seem like they're not a fan of the dog. If you are hearing background noise, that's because Maddie's brand new cat is uh, having a great time. Yes, I apologize for any bells ringing in the background, some, like, scrambling. Little Anya has found a toy mouse with a bell on the end of it, and it is her favorite thing in the entire world right now. It is pretty cute to watch, so, like, I understand why you don't want to take it away from her. But I apologize. So we have our cute Damien. And the little dog. And the little dog. And he's, they think that they've lost him in the river yeah, for a Yeah, at some second. point they convince that they, like, he's dead. And then he jumps out from behind a tree and starts laughing. Super cute. Yeah. They don't think it's as cute. They start freaking out and then he starts crying and it's all very emotional. And then we flip forward to his fifth birthday party where stuff gets much weirder. Yeah. So 
they're having a nice little birthday party. There's a merry-go-round, a lot of kids. Clearly, Damien is very popular. He's wearing his little tiny suit, and he has this awesome nanny, like we said. And then a Rottweiler shows up. Makes direct eye contact with the nanny. And there's a lot of cool synth noises. Pew! Bah! Pew! 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 Ah! All that goes on. That was a very accurate representation <laughs> of all the noises. And then she's like, you know what? I have a great idea. She's like, I'm going to go up onto the roof and I'm going to put a cord around my neck and I'm going to jump off the roof. But first, she's like, there's all these kids who are just out on the yard having a good time. And you just hear this voice. And she's like, like, Damien, look at me. Look at me, Damien. Damien. And then everyone, including Damien, looks at her. And she goes, it's all for you. And then jumps off of the roof and like hangs herself. And then like smashes backwards into a window so she like slides into the house and like back out. It's yeah. very brutal and gruesome. Not bloody. Like we don't see anything on the screen but it's, it's an intense way to have a fifth birthday party end. And it's interesting because the movie up until now like obviously the opening scene was a little like oh something's gonna happen. But then it seems like a happy little family movie with this beautiful music and then all of a sudden the nanny kills herself. Yeah. And that's the first time something like go- gets weird here. So that's a pretty a pretty solid place to start. Obviously they need a new nanny. And this woman, Mrs. Baylock, shows up. She's real weird. She shows up out of nowhere. She claims that the um, that the agency, the nanny agency, sent her. But yeah, because the dad is like, "Where'd you get her?" And the mom's like, "Where'd I get her? Where'd you get her?" And they're like, "Oh shit, no one actually hired her." At which point, I feel like you don't let her go hang out with your child by yourself, right? And they don't apparently call the agency because they go. And no, they like, never do anything. And they're like, we're going to talk to the agency after she's like, oh, the agency sent me. And she's just like, oh, yeah, here's my references. And then they're like, this do is they, fine, I guess. Do they I ever even check. call the references? They probably don't. Ugh. Which is like, you have to be careful with the person who's watching your child. Like, he just watched someone kill herself. And then she, like, brings this Rottweiler that's clearly supposed to be a hellhound of some sort. Even though I did read online that the Rottweiler apparently was way too nice in filming. They actually had to try to get it to stop licking and trying to play with everyone because it was the nicest dog ever. It's the cutest thing And then it's like running around as this hellhound. I'm I'm just like, I can't take this seriously anymore. I just want to be friends with him. Mm, It is really cute. It's It's a really cute Rottweiler. And But anyway, so so once Mrs. Baylock shows up, all this weird shit starts happening. Like they are supposed to go to this wedding at this church and she tries to get them to leave him behind and And then he throws a fit once he gets there yeah he like loses his shit which okay first things first it's like her second day of nannying how does she know better than the parents right like like because the mom is like do you have damien ready to go and 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 mrs balick is like no i don't think he should go it's he's too young for church and the mom is like, no, you need to like put him in the car right now. But then they keep her, even though she's like being also, really weird. If they go to church, which doesn't seem like they really go to church, but let's say the family does occasionally go to church. Has it just been five years and he's never been near one? Yeah, that part isn't really explored. No, I don't know if it's just like now he doesn't want to go because he's all of a sudden evil as soon as he turns five or evil as soon as, soon as um, Mrs. Baylock shows up. Yeah, I think up. Mrs. Baylock like activates him because like she waits until the old nanny is gone. Until, like, her Rottweiler buddy can get rid of the old nanny, and then she comes in to, like, take over and control him. Yeah. As, like, a force of evil. Um, So, Catherine, the mom, brings Damien to a zoo in another scene to try to have, like, some bonding time. They have a great time with some giraffes. Except the giraffes then run away. Yeah, the giraffes. Full speed away from Damien. They're having a good time. The giraffes are not having a good time. No. They're concerned. Um, And so, instead, they decide to go through the baboon house, which everybody in the movie calls them baboons. 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 
So they <laughs> they go through the ba- the baboon the baboon house the baboon house and the baboons freak out and like charge the car and they're scare really the unhappy crap baboons. out of Catherine and out of Damien. Everyone, um, no one is happy in this scenario. The baboons aren't happy. Nobody's happy. Damien's not happy. Catherine's not happy. No one is having a good time. So here. eventually they get out of there. He's okay. Everything's fine. They actually fine. had to drive off with like a ton of baboons still yeah, sitting there on their still car. Some baboons. Baboons. Some baboons. All right. So now we're free and clear of the baboons and we move on to Robert who shows up to his office. Some guy tries to take a picture of him. Uh, in the lobby to ask him questions about his nanny who just killed himself because he's a public figure so everybody knows. I think I just touched the microphone so I'm sorry if that made a noise. Um, so he like smashes this guy's camera he like kind of Kanye West him a little bit and then he's like, my B, give me a call, here's my card. Like, let me know how much I owe you. And he's like, no, you'll just owe me one. And it's like, that's do weird. you guys know each other? I know. He was also oh, he at was at the, the birthday, birthday party. party. Yeah, so he mm-hmm. must know them. But it was just like, it seemed very out of nowhere. It seemed very ominous to use It kind of, yeah. Omen. It ended up obviously turning out okay. Well, not okay for everybody, but nothing, I mean, nothing. It doesn't go as badly as everything else goes. It seemed like it was going to go a lot worse. Yeah. So after he meets up with that guy in the lobby, he goes up to his office and he's having like a normal day. He's talking to some folks and then this priest comes in. And just, like, starts freaking out, and he starts yelling about how he knows Damien's true mother, um, and, like, I and, like all yells, this crazy shit. I think he yells at some point, like, that she's a jackal, but it's a little weird, because it he, sounds more like, she's a jackal, and, like, they talk yeah. over each other, and he can't actually tell what's going on. It's weird, and so they, like, have this weird confrontation, and he, like, almost calls the, like, the security on the guy to get him out of there, um... But then he, is it that he just knows about Damien being adopted? Or there's something that he says where he's like, okay, I'll listen to you, like, a little bit. <laughs> I honestly don't remember what causes him to agree to the meeting. Yeah, but he does. He's like, okay, it's a I'll later meet time. You. I think he said, like, you yeah. only need to give me five minutes. And he says something yeah. that really is like, oh, shit. Like, he, he knows clearly knows on. about Damien. He knows where Damien came from and all that stuff. And so, so he decides to meet up with him later. And they meet up in a park and they're talking, and he kind of goes crazy and starts yelling about all these different things. He's not he doing... reciting this poem. He doesn't do a great job of convincing Robert that Damien is evil and, like, a bad guy. No, he actually just makes himself seem more threatening. Because he he's like, your wife is pregnant and you have to kill it or else your kid's gonna kill it. And then just yells about a lot of things. He and does. Like Maggie said, has this crazy poem he talks about he does not seem like a sane person no but i mean i think he's going through a lot and he's trying to get the point across but he is suffering. but like if that guy came to me and started yelling at all those things i wouldn't listen to him either no like if you're trying to convince someone about a very serious thing you should probably take a slower more rational approach not a oh my god kill your unborn son that you don't even know exists yet yeah that's weird he's like your wife is pregnant and Robert's like, what are you talking about? No, she's not. You're a crazy person. So he kind of writes him off because of that. So they go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. And the priest starts realizing there's this huge ass storm swirling around. There are just leaves everywhere. I don't know where they got that many leaves. A there lot were of so leaves. many leaves. It's very seasonal. Very seasonal. It feels it's very autumnal. It feels very nice for the current cool weather that we have right now. Yeah. With, you know, not that we degrees. have any leaves or anything like that because we live in Los Angeles. You're like, Palm fronds or something like that. Palm fronds don't count as autumn leaves. They don't change. They just turn beige and fall off. Yeah, that's basically what happens to leaves. You went to school in Boston, Madeline. You know what autumn leaves look like. They turn beige and they fall off the tree. 
And there are other colors in between, but they're not friends anymore. They end in the same way. Anyway, okay. lots of leaves. He's like, oh shit, I need to get to the church because, you know, churches are good or something. Yeah, I think that's sort of his turf. Yeah. So he's running for cover, and then a lightning rod gets knocked off the roof and impales him. And there was this whole thing earlier where the photographer had taken a bunch of photos of the priest because he just kept showing up where the photographer was. And so the photographer was like, hey, father. Priest turns around, he takes a photo. He's like, cool, thanks. Also, the. The camera takes a long time to take a photo. It does. Yeah, I don't know. If, a lot of like, click, 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 click. See, I don't think that's how it actually was in the 70s, though. Because I have a camera from the 1970s, and it takes pictures like a normal camera. It doesn't take, like, three no. seconds to Not take a picture. Not unless it's, like, really low lighting, but all of the... None of them are low lighting. No, they're, they're all, like, out in a long field exposure. or whatever. Anyway. So, overdramatic camera taking, but there's this mark next to the priest's shoulder every single time. Mm-hmm. So, this lightning rod, when it impales the priest, actually goes through in the same exact spot these, like, mark in all the photos shows up. So, Keith notices that the lightning rod has impaled him in the same place as this weird shadow that's been on all of the photos that he's taken of the priest. And so, he starts to think something's weird. He looks over his old photos and he notices... Um, there were, there's a line next to the nanny's face yeah. in her photo that Before was in the she same kills herself. place as the rope when she killed herself. And he notices a weird shadow on, on a photo of himself as well. Yeah, which is where it gets real creepy because there's just yeah. like this weird giant triangle across his neck. Which, yeah. Which clearly implies that he's going to be decapitated yeah. at some point in time. It's creepy. Um, so in the meantime... Robert goes back home to his wife, who tells him that she's pregnant and that she wants an abortion. Which is odd to me because she seems like a very normal, well-balanced person. And then all of a sudden, she's very emotional. She has a lot of feelings about like, oh my god, I'm pregnant. You know that I never want to have a child again. And she's never once, at least in the movie so far, implied that she's unhappy in any way with her marriage or her child or anything like that. Yeah, it is really weird because I feel like what they're trying to say is that like um, Damien is having this impact on her that he is making her never want to have another kid, that he is sort of like sapping the life out of her. But you don't see any of that because everything's so focused on Robert. And it's just a very fast transition from a very happy family to all of a sudden, you know I never want to have children ever again. Yeah. And she seems pretty happy for a long time. Right? There's nothing wrong with her having those feelings. It's just a very quick, like, A to B turnaround. She's still afraid from the baboons. She's probably still. She's afraid that the baboons will come for her next child. <laughs> baboons. <laughs> so... <laughs> So Robert's a bit of an old school guy, a little on the controlling side from, I think, what we would view it as now. Although in the 1970s, they probably didn't think in this way as much. But he's like, no, we're not going to have an abortion. That's not going to happen. You're going to have the kid, which rude her body, her choice. Um, I think it's more that he knows that she didn't have an actual child. And he is like, oh, man, we can actually have our own child. And so this like weird adopted thing that we got. See, this is why you need to communicate with your wife. So that you can actually discuss these things with her. But instead of doing that, he goes and talks to her psychiatrist, which is another thing that you would not be able to do today. (laughs) Which, for good reason. I mean, I get that the psychiatrist is less like, here are all of her internal thoughts, and more like, hey, what she wants to do is actually a really good idea for her. Maybe you should listen to her. But he still doesn't listen to the psychiatrist. Like, listen, if you're going to creep on your wife's private thoughts... I think she does say, like, maybe you should talk to the doctor. I know, but it's still so weird. Like, I mean, I don't... It I'm just not, feels like, like there are some lines being yeah. crossed here. I just can't like imagine like myself being like, oh Tim, go talk to like my psychiatrist. My psychiatrist. He'll explain this better He'll than t- I can. Yeah, that's weird. That's just such a weird invasive thing. It would make me very uncomfortable. But I guess it doesn't bother Catherine 
Um, so, so they decide that she's going to keep the kid, or I guess he decides for, for now at least. It yeah. seemed like there wasn't really a consensus, consensus reached. Yeah, but I mean, I guess at that point in time, he still needed to give consent in order for her to get get the abortion. So if he doesn't want, but the good news, bad news, both is that soon that decision doesn't matter. That's true. Um, so while, uh, okay, so to to go back to Keith for a second before we get back to Catherine. Keith calls up Robert and gets him out of the house by being like, hey, all this weird crap is happening in these pictures. Come take a look at it. So he goes over to Keith's place and he looks at all of the pictures um, and they decide to figure out what's going on together since they're both kind of like, wow, everything is really strange that's happening around me. And they go check out Father Brennan's apartment, which looks absolutely ridiculous. It kind of reminds me of the Grudge 2 when, like, Amber Tamblin had completely, like, pasted over every single surface Oh, yeah, he's got, like, every single part of the room is, like, completely covered in Bible pages or Bible verses. I suppose the grudge was probably referencing the omen, not yeah, the other way around. Was. Yeah, since Considering this came was 1976. And that was, like, 2008? I don't know. Seven, Something six, like that. Something yeah, like that. that. I saw right. it in theaters. I was in high school. I couldn't drive yet. Yeah. So it was definitely before 2007. Okay. So yeah, so the two of them together decide they're going to figure out what is going on. And while Catherine is back home alone at the house, Damien is riding around on his creepy little tricycle. He's just going in circles staring down. Do kids do that? I don't think... Listen, if your kid does that, send them back. Give them back. Or at least get a new get fucking nanny. Because the nanny is just standing there watching this kid go in circles, like, very proudly. And then she's weird. like, oh, hey, I'm just going to open this door so that way you can ride your trike out of it. And, of course, he knocks his mother off the balcony and she has a miscarriage and nearly dies. Of course. You can't let a creepy kid like that around your house. You can't. No. They'll kill you. They'll try to kill you. Um, but anyway, since Robert is obviously not too involved with his wife's wants or needs, he decides to go to Rome on the advice of Father Brennan, who told him to go, um, and to also go to Keith. There. I mean, Keith is all about Yeah, doing Keith this. has done some research. He's like, here's what I think might be going on. Let's go check it out. Keith is pushing hard this entire time. Keith is. Keith is one of the driving forces, which I think is really cool, because honestly, not that much has happened to Keith. He's just noticed a couple weird shadows, and he's like, your kid's probably the Antichrist. Also, he has, like, a real cool haircut and sense of style. I he like Keith. Very, like, British 70s. He, he looks real British. He really does. Um, so, they go to the hospital where... Robert got Damien initially where yeah. his son was died and the hospital is completely different. And they ask the taxi driver, what's up with this? And he says the entire thing burned down. A couple yeah, years there was ago. like a huge fire five years ago to be exact. Right after they got Damien. Like almost immediately after they left the hospital. Yeah. The, the whole thing burned down, starting in the records room. So, you know, they can never find out who the mom is. Yeah. And it kills a large part of the staff. But they find out, luckily, the guy who actually convinced Robert to adopt Damien is not dead. No, he is in a monastery. So they go and they find him. Um, he's severely injured. He's nonverbal, can't talk. Um, like, half of his face is all burnt up. Yeah, it's actually a pretty good special effect. It is. I was kind of impressed with that. It yeah, it was real time. gross. Yeah, it was, like, his eye is milky and stuff like that. Like, they did a great it's, job. It looks like a very severe burn. Yeah. And they do a really good job just showing, like how much damage like a really horrible fire can do exactly so although this guy can't talk he can write and so he directs them to a cemetery in Servitary where they find the grave of Damien's actual mother who is a jackal a dog of some sort I think they 
I think specify that it's a jackal, or are they just like earlier? Father this? Brennan's yelling that she's a jackal. After they get to the cemetery, it's never fully explained yeah. that she is just a dog. I it's feel like, like they like unearth it, and he's like a jackal, and then there's just like a baby. Do. I think they're just like it's just a dog. Okay, I just feel like so many people whisper things. There's a lot of there whispering are a lot of, like, in this movie. Whisper statements where they're just like. They just they say something along the lines of it's an animal. I mean, they don't really go into the fact that it's a dog that much. Yeah, I didn't realize that his actual mom is a jackal until I was doing research on this. So they find this dog mama, and they also find the body of another baby who is implied, or I guess not implied, but outright stated to be Robert's real child. And it has like a giant hole in its skull. So he didn't even die of natural causes. They bashed his head in so that they could give them Damien, which. I mean, so the priest at the monastery, the one who had originally given Damien to Robert, there was this whole conversation about how he had turned his back on Christ at some point, yeah. and he was trying to get back into his good favor, and it's never really explained what he did until this whole cemetery Where thing. Where he presumably is the one who killed the real child. In order to find Damien a home that would bring yeah. him up. So it's very sad. He's obviously mad about that. Um, and then a bunch of fucking Rottweilers attack them. Which, again, I'm just like, puppies! Because I know that they're all the most friendly dogs ever. <laughs> but they do get away from them. They get out of the cemetery. Though Robert ends up, like, impaling his arm Oof. on this spike on oh, the cemetery it's gate. it's gross. I don't it's like It's really it. gross. And I honestly was so ready for Keith to be decapitated in this scene because mm-hmm. it was a triangle that crossed his head. And all these gates have these weird triangular things on top. They know you're going to be waiting for it. Um, turns out it was a not a triangle that ends up decapitating him later. No. So, but it's actually uh, the the slight arm impalement is not the worst thing that happens to the Thorn family. It is not on this day. What happens, Maggie? Well, the other thing that happens is Mrs. Balak fucking pushes Catherine out a window and she dies. That does happen. And it's it's upsetting. And so um, Robert gets the call and he's, again, we see him afterwards and he's pretty Devastated? Sad. Devastated. Because, I mean, they are... Married. They are married. Love. And honestly, they're really in love. And I think it's cute, even though they have their problems. And obviously, their relationship dynamic is not something that I would like. They do clearly really love each other. Like, I love when she's talking about how he's going to become the future president of the United States. And he's, and he's like, like, you might be too sexy for the White House. Exactly. Oh. She's pretty sexy. It's she's also, a, like, 20 years younger than he is. It's not a perfect marriage, but for the most part, it's a happy marriage. Yeah. As happy as marriages, I think, got in the 70s. Yeah, plus I feel like even if you've had, like, a rough time for a couple months or whatever since your demon child turned five, like, you still don't want your wife to fall off of a roof. Yeah. Like, even if things are bad, you presumably they probably could have come back from it and still had a happy so relationship. So he starts, like, crying in his hotel room. Keith shows up because apparently they're sharing a hotel room because they're not two grown adults. They no, can't, that's know. normal. He's only a fucking diplomat diplomat who can afford a huge ass house. But he can't afford his own hotel room. Maybe he Rome. doesn't want. Yeah, I don't know. But so Keith comes in. He's like, "Yo, what's up?" And Robert says. I remember the poem, and then for the first time, perfectly states the entire poem that Father Brennan had given him before that he'd said out loud. Yeah, he didn't seem like he was listening initially. But he I guess wasn't, he was. and I guess for some reason this trauma brought back the memory of this poem, and so he speaks, he says this poem to Keith, and then Keith's like, "Oh, cool." And then Let's he's go like, to Israel. By the way, my wife's dead. Yeah. It took him a long time to tell him that he died. It does. He kind of buries the lead on that one. But um, either way, they decide that they're going to go to Israel. Because Robert now remembers who he's supposed to meet in Israel that Father Brennan had told him. So they meet up with a, um, like, a historian. An uh, exorcist. An an exorcist, yes. Slash, 
He does like archaeology shit too, right? Yeah. He has all those but he's daggers. really famous for being an exorcist. Yeah. As well. So they meet up with him and they uh they get together and he like this exorcist dude starts to talk to Robert and he looks at Keith and he's like, This is a conversation for him alone. And like forces Keith to like GTFO. Rude. Which then Keith's running around and being a little too like cool of exploring unknown places considering the fact that he according to his photographs is likely to die right i would like stay indoors i'd probably just like sit in a corner and not do anything yeah because if i explore too much my head will come off but i guess he decides that it's better to live while you can and so he goes walking around actually nothing happens to him but this yeah. was definitely still my thought process yeah while he i mean was walking it's definitely around. like there's some tension because you know you're getting close to the end they meet up afterwards. The exorcist has previously given Robert a whole bunch of knives. Yeah, like stakes, daggers. He talks about them being like the center of the cross and also... Yeah, so it's like seven daggers, I think, that he's supposed to stick in Damien to kill him. The first goes to the heart to take out his actual living essence. The others go in order to take out his spiritual essence. Right. And he also tells him about a birthmark that Damien will have if he's actually the Antichrist where it looks like the 666, the number of the beast. And then he's like, he doesn't have that mark. And then the exorcist dude says, oh, that's probably under his hair. Yeah. So, so Keith is asking Robert, what did he say? And Robert's like, I'm not going to tell you. And Keith's like, I have put in how much time and energy into this thing? Right. And you're seriously not going to tell me? And so and Robert gives in and tells him everything. And then they're walking around Israel. And Robert gets really angry about this whole thing and throws his knives away. These knives that the exorcist gave him. He's like, I'm not going to kill my five-year-old son. And Keith's like, what the fuck? Goes to get him. And then gets decapitated by a truck that's rolling backwards and a piece of glass slides off of it and yeah. hits his neck. It's not sure that would actually decapitate someone. I think that would hurt I a lot. Don't you get a bruise. Would, I think it might kill you because it might like crush your windpipe. But, it, but I don't think it would pop your head off. No, especially it wouldn't make it flip in the right, air it multiple like times. bounces off the top of his like and body and like clearly, flips around, like bounces down the street. Like. It's clearly a mannequin head. It is, it is the only thing in this movie that looks so fake. Everything yeah, else, everything looks else so, is really good. It's really good. It's very realistic. I mean, we talked about how the burn marks on that one priest guy's face was yeah. really good looking. I mean, um, when when Robert's arm gets impaled, it's very realistic. This is the only time that you look at it and you're like, "What's going on here?" Like, yeah, did they run it out of money. Breaks the mood, like you kind of giggle initially. Yeah, you're like, oh, I don't know. But so anyway, so Robert goes back home with he, the knives. With he the decides knives. that you know what Keith's like prophecy that he was going to die came true. Maybe there is something wrong with Damien. I might as well take these knives. So he and checks Damien out. I don't know how I got through. I was going to say, he's literally sitting on this plane with these knives in his lap. It was a different time. It was. You can't have seven knives on a plane anymore. No, you can't. You can't really, have Really, they won't knife. give you one, yeah. You even, you're not allowed to bring a butter knife on a plane anymore. Yeah, and it's hard when you want to explain to the person at the gate that this is to kill my demon adopted son. They don't, that doesn't help. They won't let you through. So he gets home. He's really sad, obviously. He walks around the house, notices that goddamn Rottweiler, the really friendly one who was supposed to be mean in the movie, but all I can see is puppy. We're very team Rottweiler here. I'm very team Rottweiler. He sees it. He somehow really does a good job of locking it in the basement. It's a really yeah. dumb dog, considering it's supposed to be like yeah, this it's hound not, from hell. It's not who you want to be on the front lines when you're no, trying to take over the world. Definitely not. All the smart ones, I think, were at the cemetery in Rome. Probably. So he checks out Damien. He's like petting him, making sure the door is closed between Damien and Nanny's room. Mm-hmm. And he finds them. Mark. Yeah, so he just like starts feeling his head and looking around and cuts off a small section of hair. And it's like, oh, you were right. The first spot you checked had this mark. 
Okay. I would love a scene where he's just shaving Damien's head in the bathroom. That's what I thought like, was going to happen. what's going on? And he's like, shut up. So. Find out if you're a demon. <laughs> Be like, I'm going to give you a new haircut, son. Right? Also, how does Damien not wake up as he's cutting all this hair off I of his head? I don't know. He's like holding the head down. Yeah. Cut. It's weird. And as he's cutting off the hair, he gets ambushed by the nanny. By Mrs. Baylock. And then he kills her. Well, yeah. I mean, she's going ham. Oh, no. She, she like, like, puts up a good fight for Fights sure. him. She uses her fingernails to, like, tear off pieces of his skin. Yeah. It's rough. This clearly wakes up Damien. He kills the nanny. He grabs the kid. He runs out of the house. Church. All the police are like, oh, man, there's this fast car. Let's all follow it. Yeah. I mean, I... A fast car, when the diplomat is driving a car very quickly out of his own house, does that really warrant, like, ten police cars showing up? I don't think so. I guess they're worried it might be a diplomatic incident. But, But, like, also, I feel like he could have just pulled over and been like, everything's chill. And he's like, Gregory Peck. Like, people are going to believe you. You're like, you're Atticus Finch. People will... People will be like, oh, have a great day, Mr. Ambassador. And then he'll go off and murder her son and it'll be fine. Yeah. And instead, he throws a fucking fit and does it in the least intelligent way. Also, why yeah. did he need to do it that night? He couldn't wait a couple days for things right. to blow over a little bit. So he's on the altar and he's about to stab Damien through the heart. And obviously, it's really difficult for him. And this police guy comes in and he's like, stop or I'll shoot. And he doesn't stop. So he gets shot to death. And then there's his funeral. And there are two caskets. And everything is sad. It's very sad. They're actually doing a lot more in terms of having, like, soldiers there and folding the flag and all that. Yeah. Considering the fact that they killed him while he was trying to kill his son. I don't think it matters. I think that you still get, like, if, since he was presumably in the military and he was a, a... like government official i think that you still get all that stuff regardless of what you did with the rest of your life i'm pretty sure my thoughts were probably that they decided he had a mental breakdown because his wife died and that so they sense. like overlooked everything bad that he'd done yeah. the fact that he killed his nanny because they don't know they got into this huge fight right they don't know what's going on he yeah. was like put this poor dog in the basement and so it seems like it's dad and son who are in these caskets and they're but doing this not. whole thing dad and then you and see mom it is the dad and the mom. Damien's still alive. And you go to see Thorne's BFF, the president of the United States. Oh, yeah. This is something that was established earlier, by the way. They establish it like like you think you're going to meet the president much earlier on because his wife is just like, isn't it great that you're friends with the president? Just like, yes. And then there's all this talk about him being the future president. Yeah. But... <coughs> <coughs> but... You see the president and the first lady, and they're talking, and then they just, like, pan down. And Damien is standing there between them, holding both of their hands. And that's looking evil as fuck. Parents. Yep, it's his new daddy and mommy. And he turns yeah. around and stares at the camera. And then after, like, two seconds, just smiles. Because he's so happy his parents are dead. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, there's more of that weird, like, 70s synth. I love it. Synth. So, synth. yeah, so now he's basically on, on the path to become... Yeah, and there's this whole the part about the poem that talked about the eternal sea, and I guess they decided the eternal sea was politics, which, I, mean, I guess, makes kind of sense. It makes sense for the movie, at least. Yeah. But, yeah, so that is That's the Omen. Omen. That's what happens in that movie. All right, so the Omen clearly has a lot of influences that really made it the movie that it is, yeah. um, from Rosemary's Baby to The Exorcist. Yeah, for me, I felt a lot of strong connection between um, The Omen and Rosemary's Baby. Obviously, Rosemary's Baby came out a little bit beforehand. I'll admit I haven't seen Rosemary's Baby since college. Dude, so you can borrow it. I own it. You can Thank have you. it whenever you want. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you're kind of dealing with a similar theme in in Rosemary's Baby, where you have a woman who's kind of unwittingly becoming the mother of the Antichrist based on her husband doing something that she wasn't involved in. Which you don't find out until the end of Rosemary's Baby, right? Well, no, because you find out right after she conceives, or like the morning after she conceives that like... In Rosemary's Baby, she has, like, this weird messed up dream about basically being impregnated by the devil. And she wakes up the next morning and she's like, what was going on? Like, what happened last night? And her creepy gross husband is like, yeah, you were, like, asleep, but I didn't want to, like, miss out on the opportunity for you to, like, conceive. So, basically, her husband raped her. That's really gross. It's really gross, it's yeah. It's been a long time since I've it's, seen this movie. Yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> definitely in The Omen, you're supposed to like the husband much more than you are in Rosemary's Baby. In Rosemary's Baby, he's a straight-up villain. In The Omen, obviously, he's a good guy who makes some mistakes. Yeah, but, I mean, overall, you know. I mean, I don't think Gregory Peck can really play a total villain. He's so dreamy. I don't think I'd use the word dreamy for him, but he's nice. He's a good-looking older man. Sure. <laughs> he's, like, 60 in this movie. He's, like, not still hot. Like, he's not Atticus Prime. Not at all. Attic- Atticus Prime. Atticus Prime? He's not at his prime. He's not Atticus. He's not at- He's not Atticus's prime. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. But, yeah. So, um, obviously, Guy and Rosemary's Baby is actively conspiring against his wife. And um, in both movies, the woman is just, like... Signed off as crazy, which yeah. I think was actually a pretty big theme in the 60s and 70s in general. Like women, like the fact that hysteria was a condition that a woman could have. Yeah. And you're finally getting to the point where like women are there's, you know, a more outspoken like feminist movement. And these movies are sort of starting to present women who are being treated as crazy as, you know, they're right, even though no one around them will believe them. Um, kind of showing the injustice that women will be shown in this circumstance. Yeah, and I mean, things overall end up better for Rosemary and her baby than they do well, for Kathy. I think, that, well, okay, so they definitely, <laughs> they do in the sense that Catherine dies and that her child probably goes on to, like, murder the president or whatever. Take over the world. Yeah. Um, but at the end, I mean, all you see is that Rosemary decides to raise the baby. So anything could happen after that. We don't really know. That's true, but still better than being like, oh, man, I'm unwittingly raising this child I don't even realize this is the fucking Antichrist. You're right. I mean, she's definitely going into it with, like, a better understanding of what she's going to be up against. So she's probably going to do better than Catherine did. She also knows that she's not crazy. I think Catherine still is, like, doubting herself. Yeah. I do feel really bad for Catherine. Because all she wanted was just to have a kid. She never actually finds out that Damien wasn't her child. No, she thinks that her own baby tried to kill her. her. Yeah. Which is really sad. Or that she's having these weird thoughts about it being like an alien child and not hers. They're not weird thoughts. It's the truth. Yeah, no. she Because at one point she literally is like, that's not my kid. And he's like, well. And like, he doesn't tell her. But, but he should not. have. Yeah. He definitely should have. And then the exorcist. Oh, so the cool thing about um, this is that David Seltzer, who's the writer of The Omen, he's kind of acknowledged that Rosemary's Baby probably had an unintended effect on him writing this. Like, he didn't necessarily consider it to be one of his... Influences. Influences, but it definitely, you know, you can see where there's a connection. He openly acknowledges that The Exorcist had an impact on him writing this. And you can kind of see where it's the same idea. It's this cute kid who's been um, possessed. possessed by a force outside of their control. And it's kind of cool because you have this religious aspect 
but it's not really sure like what's good and what's not because I mean both these movies there's a lot of discussion about like religion and its role in our lives and how it's not always great. Yeah, I mean you can definitely be like led to to make sort of a leap based on you know, what you think is is true based on your religious background. And that even, like, people who are in religious roles are still human and make mistakes. Because especially, like, with the omen, you have these priests who make horrible decisions. Yeah, they like the wrong choice. There's the one who actually gave Damien to Robert. Right. And the other one, I mean, he's on morphine the entire time because he's riddled with cancer is the word that they use. Exactly. Yeah, he's in bad shape. But he's still pretty drugged up. He's having a rough time. He's clearly made some bad decisions in the past. They allude to it. They never go into what said bad decisions were. But the idea is, like, even these, like, men of faith still have their own problems at times. And, I mean, in The Exorcist, obviously, the priests are characters in their own right. And there's a lot of their background and their conflict that, you know, drives parts of the story forward. Um, So there is a strong connection where you have these morally conflicted priests trying to make right what they've done wrong yeah it's not just like oh you're a priest you're a good guy like they're actually seen as 3d characters in both movies exactly dealing with these satanist issues right one thing that is pretty different between the two of them is that in the exorcist you see all of the crazy stuff that's happening to regan like you see her head spin around and you see her vomit you know that there's definitely something wrong with her while in the omen they actually made a point of removing all potential supernatural things because they wanted everything that happened in it to be something that could happen in real life because maybe thorn just is going crazy and right. i kind of watched it in that lens and by the end of it like Damien really didn't do that much. His nanny was insane. They should have fired her immediately, which I don't know why they didn't even try to fire her. Now, Lady brings a dog near house, and you don't want that dog, first off. Also, you tell her to get rid of the dog, though. I love every dog, too, but I am not Robert Thorne. Robert Thorne doesn't want a dog. He says, get rid of the dog. She doesn't get rid of the dog. You fire her. Yeah. Especially when she's been working with her for three days, and she still crosses those lines. It's too soon to be testing the dog waters. So, overall, it's kind of watching this movie and be like why don't they just fire and like get a restraining order against this nanny and if she breaks it she goes to jail she's definitely not coming after damien exactly so i do think that that's a big difference um in terms of how they use the creepy child concept because these are two well i guess sort of three Uh, well you never see the kid in rosemary's baby but still it's three movies that involve a child of some sort whether unborn or older in the exorcist sense. She yeah. was like a couple years older yeah, than Damien. Yeah, she's like probably seven or eight or whatever. Yeah, and so the idea is these different stages of a child who has something serious wrong, seriously wrong with them, mm-hmm. either really obviously so in terms of the exorcist or you can't even see the baby in Rosemary's Baby. Right. Which leads you to an interesting thing, which is like a lot of times in horror movies, the bad guy is like an unkillable villain, like in some of the previous movies that we've looked at with um, like Jigsaw, who's clearly a bad guy. Um, Not unkillable, but still, like, a very large force. Right. Like, you know that that's, like, a grown man who's doing something bad. And there's not really a lot of... Like, if you met Jigsaw, you would want to kill him because he's been doing all this messed up stuff. And meanwhile, like, Jason and Freddy and all those types of villains, they've been killed so many times and they keep coming back. Exactly. You have... 
in these other movies, you have characters that you know are definitely a threat. Whether or not there's a supernatural element involved, you know for sure Jason's dangerous. Like, Freddy Krueger's dangerous. Uh, Michael Myers is dangerous. Meanwhile, these kids, like, is it the kid who's dangerous? Are you just crazy? Is there some external force working on them that you need to take care of instead? Because honestly, like, no one wants to kill a five-year-old. Exactly. And I think that um, what we see at the end of uh, The Omen makes a good point of this. Whereas if you introduce an outside character to the story, Robert looks like the bad guy. He looks like a crazy person. He looks like a terrible dad who's trying to murder his child. With different music, this movie would be a story about a dad who goes crazy and decides to kill his son. Exactly. Because he has an insane nanny. No matter what, the nanny is the bad guy in this movie. Damien, the only thing he actually does is accidentally knock his mom off the tail that she's standing on and I mean it wasn't an accident but you could easily I mean present it as an he accident didn't purposely ride his bike into her he was staring down he wasn't looking at her when he did it he was riding in circles and the nanny opens the door he goes out the door and keeps going he's staring at the ground the entire time he's riding it's not clear he doesn't That's order true. Hurt his mom. I guess all you really have to go off of is the fact that he doesn't try to help her when she's but he's a child. He's five years old. He can't help her. He looks, and then someone clearly called like the hospital because it goes like when Robert finds her, she's in the hospital. He doesn't That's find true. her at home. So either the nanny or Damien or someone did something to get her to the hospital. That is true. You are right about that. So a five-year-old not calling 911, which I think is something that I was taught as a five-year-old, but maybe it wasn't as big of a deal. Maybe in not seventy seventy-six. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't think that he actively did anything with intent to hurt anyone. The nanny did. The dog somehow convinced that other nanny to kill herself. But yeah. Damien doesn't do that much. Yeah. And I think that another thing that you run into when you have like a child as your villain or as the potential villain of the movie is that you have to overcome the sense of parental love. Which is something that Robert struggles with. Obviously, Robert is never really like an attentive dad. Say, neither of them really show that much love for their child. They do at first until he starts getting weird. I mean, they walk with him through a forest. I don't know if that counts as love. They do also not realize that he's not still immediately behind them and then think he's died because yeah, they, they have really a housekeeper, they have a nanny. Like they don't spend that much time with him. They never show that much affection towards him. Yeah, I think this entire thing could have been avoided with better parenting. Yeah, that's true. I mean. We, Maggie and I have separately talked about how we both watched Little Evil recently. Oh my god. Okay, if you have not watched Little Evil, you should watch it. It's on Netflix. It's starring Adam Scott and Evangeline Lilly. Um, and it's a really fun movie that clearly is making fun of The Omen the entire yeah. time. Yeah, but something that I really liked about Little Evil is it's about a guy who is mar- who's married a woman whose son is probably the Antichrist. And so it's him trying to be a stepdad to the Antichrist. And at one point in time, he tries to kill him by like, spoilers... Um, by wading down, um, he pours sand into like his arm floaties and then they go to a water park park together and he sends him down the slide. And he's at the top of the slide, you can see like the whole scene is Adam Scott realizing that like without any hard proof, he's just trying to murder a child. And I mean, this child's a lot worse than anything that Damien does. Yeah. Like he's, I mean... I don't think it happens till later, but at one point in time, he actively tries to bury Adam's. I think that alive. already happened. Had it already happened? I think you're right. And he also says something to his teacher, which then causes his teacher to kill himself. Yeah, her teacher, his teacher hangs himself. Yeah. Hangs herself. But actively because of something this kid says, yeah. not like because a dog made eye contact with yeah. her. But you still have that sense of like, you have to overcome 
loving this kid. And teach the kid what's right and what's wrong and what love really looks like rather than being like, oh, you're kind of evil. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Because that's not going to help the kid get any better. No. I really liked it as a subversion where you have to actually look at, like, from an outside perspective, what it would look like to be in that situation and to have to deal with that situation. Because, like... Obviously, it's, like, it's a comedy, and so it has, like, a happy ending, and they all end up being okay. But, like, in this movie, what if Robert had succeeded and he'd murdered his kid? Like, would he feel better? He's already lost his wife. He's already lost his unborn child. He's already lost his friend. He doesn't have anyone who believes him. And then, what, he murders his kid? He'd probably live out the rest of his days in jail, never really knowing whether or not his kid was actually the Antichrist. And also having to deal with the fact that he he maybe he saved the world. Maybe, maybe he, he just killed an innocent child. Exactly. But there's no proof of anything, and I think that's something that is a really powerful part of this movie. Yeah. Also, kids when they're acting not right are creepy as shit. Kids in general are creepy as shit. I um, like kids. I don't always. <laughs> I also read so the kid who played Damien. Mm-hmm. Got the part because he attacked the director. He was supposed to attack the director. Yes, the director said, please attack me. And he went for it. And then he was also a blonde kid. They had to dye his hair dark because he didn't look evil enough. He looked too, like, angelic. Yeah. Which is really funny because if he looked like a little angel and then was evil as hell, that'd be a really great movie. I would also like that. I think that would be good. So I read another article about this, or, like, it's a chapter of a bigger book, um... And the section that I read is called Reckoning the Number of the Beast, Premillennial Dispensationalism, The Omen in 1970s America by Brad L. Duran. I'll find a place to post uh, my references because we do use quite a number of sources when we're researching this. So we'll put those up somewhere. Um, And what he talks about, uh, among other things in in the section that I read, is the focus on sort of... um, a focus on religious iconography, the beginning of the apocalypse, as a response to the changes in the way American society um, was in the 1970s, where you, you kind of, um, this is a time where people are going to church less, they have less of a faith in politics based on the scandals and the assassinations that have happened in very recent history. Um, you already have a sense of kind of the American dream falling away with things like um, the Manson murders and um you know, kind of a change in the overall environment. Like, things are getting a little bit darker. You don't still have that feel of, like, well, you know, if you're a good American family and you have your kid and you have your wife, then everything will be okay. It's not the 1950s nuclear family. Exactly. Like, things are changing. And the fact that a lot of um, kind of anti-Christ or possession-based movies started to pop up in the late 60s to early 70s, I think is kind of an interesting reflection of that, a reflection of where we were Because people were people. going to church less, living less of these traditionally good lives. Exactly. And at the same time, while the bulk of the population had stopped going to church as much, there was a rise in fundamentalism, which is where you start to see more of a focus on Satan and God, which wasn't really as big prior to the 1970s. There was more of a focus on, like, God, God, and not like the fire and brimstone sort of thing, which picks up at this point in time. So there's a a cultural climate that this is a reaction to. There's, you know, kind of feelings of change um, in America that this is a reaction to. And I think that it's interesting because you can kind of trace what people are concerned by in, you know, what's being focused on in the movies. It's like we talked about last week. 
two weeks ago, last episode, where we talked about Saw and how people were more comfortable with the idea of torture porn because we were already seeing images of torture come and out so of Iraq and people are already more comfortable with the idea of this religion kind of being askew because people aren't as religious and seeing it kind of be a little more extremized because... There's more talks about, like, the really good and the really bad, less so than just, like, God is this good thing. Exactly. Plus, I feel like there was more of a disillusionment. Like, people didn't want to see a happy family getting through stuff together. Because they're not all happy getting through stuff together. Exactly. You're starting to see the nuclear family, like you mentioned, fall apart. And so what is a bigger, you know example of the nuclear family falling apart than the child of a really big, important diplomat. Exactly. The future president, you know, of the United States or whatever, being this force of evil. Sorry, I'm just imagining right now, like, Elizabeth Warren coming out with, like, I have a demon baby. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to get too political, but I feel like if anyone was going to be a demon child, Baron Trump would probably be. He's got an anti-Christ. I'm thinking of, like, potential, like, political candidates of the future. Yeah, Elizabeth yeah, Warren's yeah. been everywhere recently. She has been. And just imagine sure. if she were, like, rocked by a scandal in which, like, her husband murdered her child. Or her husband was murdered by her child. And then she murdered her child. And then was then shot by everyone. This whole thing would be I don't a, want that to happen. She seems like a nice lady. She does seem very nice. So, in general, the idea of someone like Elizabeth Warren, who is clearly a potential future candidate... Being rocked by a really serious, like, anti-Christ child scandal where there's a lot of murder and a lot of death, like, that would be insane, right? Yeah, so I think it is kind of cool that, like, this is the point where, as audiences, we're kind of adjusting to the idea that, like, stuff is not right. We're open to the idea of something very terrible happening within these institutions that we are used to having faith in, which is, at this point, you know, the American political system. This kind is of. 200, well, this is 200 years after the Constitution, or... This is 200 years after the Declaration of Independence. We're getting to the point where this is like a peak time of patriotism. And they're making this movie that sort of undermines that whole system and being like, there is something evil within the system that is trying to climb to the top and destroy us. So people have faith in this institution, kind of, because, I mean, two years before this movie came out is when Nixon was impeached. Exactly. So they're already losing faith in something they have traditionally had faith in for a while. Right. It's the perfect time for this sort of movie to come around. And I, I think that that's why you see these movies coming out in the early 70s to the mid 70s. It's a different time. Things are changing. And another thing that Brad Duren talks about is the idea that we wouldn't even notice if this kind of stuff started happening. It's true. Like, we would just be like, oh, there's a kid that's having issues. Or, like, honestly, right now, if there was news that, like, oh, a father tried to kill his son, like, that happened. We'd be like, that father was going through some terrible stuff or had, like, some sort of mental breakdown. His name would be in the news for a little while. Yeah. And then it wouldn't be anymore. Exactly. Like... If there was ever a time... Exactly. People are not still as suspicious about supernatural causes as they used to be. No, it just seems like the parent had, like, a lot of serious issues and tried to do this horrible thing. And we don't think, like, oh, man, there's this horrible murder. That means something supernatural is happening. You're right. Nobody's ever been like, oh, that kid tried to... Like, that dad tried to kill his kid because... Kid must be the Antichrist. (laughs) Right. No one's ever like, maybe he was right. Like, maybe his kid is Satan. No No. one would ever think that now. And so, like, literally, if this exact scenario happened, we'd say, oh, crap, the dad had a mental breakdown after the mom died. 
this sucks, but he also did a really horrible thing. Yeah. It's like, put him in jail, right? In this case, he was murdered. Not murdered, but shot. Shot. Nobody would be on Robert Thorne's side. No. And so that is interesting because this guy is right. No one would think, oh, man, this means the end of times. Exactly. All right. So although it does draw from a number of places, obviously the omen is also really important in terms of horror history. We talked a lot about how little evil draws on it. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of movies that come out like that where they're a not a well parody, I guess, is a, a good way to put it, where they're clearly citing their sources and you can obviously tell what they're inspired by. But the creepy child thing, I mean, this really hammered that home. Like Regan, like we said in The Exorcist, is a creepy child, but in a very different, more overt way. This is like the quiet creepy that, child. And Regan herself wasn't a problem. Like she was actively possessed by a demon in The Exorcist. Exactly. It it's wasn't not her like fault. she was actively a horrible person who was causing all these thing, evil things to happen. Damien, it's very much implied, though again, watching this movie with the viewpoint that maybe the dad is crazy. I don't know. I don't think Damien's actually that bad. But you're supposed to think that he's super evil. Yeah. And they do a lot to set him up as that. I mean, you see him making all this weird eye contact. He wears those creepy suits. He tries to kill his mom. Okay. The creepy suits are not his fault. He's clearly dressed. He is five years old. He's not like going to a store and be like, I need that suit because it's creepy. It's a creepy suit either way. It is. Don't trust your child in tiny suits, man. Like, kind of the still great, weird brown 70s suits. Yeah. He looks like a baby beetle. He does. (laughs) He does just look like a tiny British man. He does. From the 1970s. And he's got this little tiny British accent. So there are a lot of things to hold against him. His suit choice is not one of them. Um, Okay, you're right. But a lot of stuff that he kind of, I mean, I feel like he starts up later on. Like, you've got the little tricycle. The little tricycle. It's like he's just driving around in circles and this little tricycle while his nanny looks on like very happily. It's impossible not to see the similarities between him and the scene in The Shining where Danny Torrance is scooting around the Overlook Hotel. Also on the tricycle. Like, it's the same tricycle. It's the same kind of shot where you're very focused on where he's going. Like, you have the POV shot of him moving. And obviously Danny in The Shining, which we might do a future episode on at some oh, point in time. Oh, sure. He is not evil. He's no, not, he's a good kid. He's not Damien. He tries to help everybody. He's got yeah. The Shining. He has The Shining. and But he's, he's still running finger. around this creepy hotel, riding around as a tricycle. Also... Do kids ride tricycles indoors? Is that a thing? Because I never I, did. My I mom was not would allowed have not to. Let me, no, maybe because we're no not way. creepy little boys. No, my mom would not have let that happen. Never. Also, third podcast in a row that I've talked about my mom. Never gonna let it die. We're gonna talk about my mom every episode. I also was not allowed to ride my tricycle indoors. No, I wasn't even good at riding that stuff outdoors. I kept hurting myself. No way they would have let me. I ride was inside. fantastic at the tricycle. I'm pretty sure I had the same exact red one that both Danny and Damien have. I have a permanent scar on my chin because I tried to walk around our driveway with my eyes closed when I was five, and I tripped over my tricycle and I smashed my chin open. That seems like a you problem. It is. <laughs> it hurt a lot. It kind of sounds like something I'd expect <laughs> you have t- to done like last week. <laughs> I can't even be mad with you about that because that is that's true. You're not I'd be like, oh man, Maddie, I skinned my chin while walking around my apartment with my eyes closed. I'd be like, that sounds right. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm better about it now. I'm not as clumsy as I used to be. 
Sure. No, I am. I am. I you am are for sure. still very clumsy. But that's why I love you. I thought, and this might just be like you mentioned, we were talking about this earlier. Jigsaw might just need a tiny tricycle to move around him because he's a very small boy. Not boy puppet. <laughs> puppet boy. Yeah, we were talking about how Jigsaw also rides the same general the idea same of a tricycle. Bike. It's the same little train. It's it's red and how, he's creepy. I mean, probably taken because like it was creepy in both of those other movies. But also I really like the idea of little Jigsaw puppet like driving in in one of those like child convertible vehicles. Just cruising in, and be like, what up, bitch? Time to dig a key out of your friend. Yeah, he has like sunglasses on. Oh, he's definitely like, got sunglasses. Hey, like, hey bro. He's I want to play a game. The Beach Boys. I mean, he's got some babes in the back seat. Oh man, just like imagine like a female jigsaw tiny doll. Puppet babes. Just like a Barbies. Yeah. But like their hair cut off in weird ways, kind of like Toy Story. Yeah, with the little little squiggles on their cheeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Drawn on. Yeah. And like red pens kind of smeared a little bit because it yeah, hasn't fully yeah. set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think that would have been scarier. What's happening? Because <laughs> the end of times. Update: There's a ghost in Maddie's apartment. And there a plane in Maddie's apartment. Thunder coming from the upstairs apartment. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what's ironic is this is the less noisy out of the two apartments. My my, I live in East Hollywood, so there's a lot more people around. That's fine. Paul's just gonna make a studio for us. That's per- okay. Cool do. Cool do. <laughs> <laughs> cool do cool do you know? <laughs> listen my apartment's haunted yeah. it's fine it's fine it's a poltergeist like in the movie poltergeist which also featured a creepy child in the form of carol ann so i'll be honest i was watching this movie and watched like the baboon scene the baboons yes the baboons the baboons and i got really nervous this might be like a friday the 13th situation no in which, like, they might have hurt the animals. I don't know. The 70s were, like, funky. Yeah, it was not a great place for, No, like... and I mean, Friday the 13th was 1980, right? Yeah. So, like, this movie came out earlier. I was so scared there might have been animals hurt in the filming of this. Yeah. Which, luckily, I did some research, and I found out that there were no animals harmed in the making of this film. Yay! So the director was actually so against the idea of potentially hurting an animal... That in the scene where the mom, Kathy, falls off while, like, dealing with some sort of fishbowl situation. I don't know. There were fish for some reason who also died in the scene. He refused to even potentially hurt these goldfish. So he took some dead sardines and painted them orange. So that way, like... These fish fall, and they're clearly dead in a different shape than the goldfish. And I was like, there's something up with these fish. I don't know what. (laughs) But I looked it up, and yeah, he didn't want to hurt any animals. I mean, the baboon scene. The baboons. The baboons. They, all the anger was caused by the fact that, one, they weren't fed that night. And two, they actually originally tried to take a baby baboon into the car to make the baboons angry. A baby. A baby, yes. (laughs) And it didn't do anything. They didn't fucking care. So instead, they took, like, the head baboon. The baboon king. Yes, the king of all the baboons. The Rafiki, if you will. <laughs> and they did that. And, yeah, they went insane and yeah. attacked the car. And that's how the movie was made. But there was no harm to any animal. And that makes my heart really warm. Aww. Well, get ready to not be as happy. I'm scared now. What it's not we- about animal cruelty. Okay, good. But after the safari park scene, um, oh, 
a zookeeper who also worked at the safari park was like killed by a lion the day after filming. I'm not sure if this can count towards the overall omen curse. It does. Because there are no lions and that zookeeper. As no, far- but it's the zoo. Yeah, but it's okay. The same location had yeah. an issue, but like that had nothing to do with the movie. Okay, so I guess that one particular one doesn't, but there is, guys, guys, there is definitely a curse on the omen. Please tell all me more. Of this bonkers shit happened. This is all from a Mental Floss article, by the way. I'm literally just like, I copied and pasted. What up, Mental Floss? Thanks, Mental Floss, for doing my job for me. Um, so Gregory Peck, right, uh, David Seltzer, who's the writer, and uh, Mace Neufeld, who is an executive producer for this, um, they were all on planes that were struck by lightning or had a near miss yeah. with lightning or a crash. I think I read when I was watching the movie last night, wasn't there a plane that they were supposed to be on at some point that also crashed and like everyone on board died? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically what happened was... Um, the crew was going to uh, use this plane to fly around and get some shots, um, and they switched up at the last moment, and then the original plane crashed, and everybody who was on that plane died. That's so insane. they like barely missed like their entire crew dying, more or less. Yeah, so I also know that there was the stuntman for Gregory Peck, which I also read was not only attacked by Rot- the Rottweilers in that scene, because obviously he was supposed to be, they right, in got the cemetery scene, through right? all of the protective gear. Like They actually... like bit through all the stuff that he was wearing that they weren't supposed to be able to bite through. Oh my god. So those ones were not as nice as the the household Rottweiler. I just want to be best friends with the household one. Yeah, not the other ones though. They will Every Rottweiler. Be friends with the Rottweilers. I do. Rottweilers have a bad rap. They do. I love Rottweilers. They're really cute. My brother's dog is part Rottweiler. Yeah. I love your brother's dog so much. He's really sweet. We've met like twice and we're best I friends. I tell people that and they're like, what? But honestly, he's the sweetest dog I've ever met. He's and really he's part good Rottweiler. Boy. Like, Rottweilers are good dogs. As long as I would say trained. he's the second sweetest dog you've ever met, but my dog is a nightmare dog. So. Your dog is not the sweetest dog he's I've ever met. He's a very mean dog. He's not the meanest dog I've ever met, but he's not the nicest dog I've ever met. We had to give met. him Valium at the vet the other day because he was, in the words of the vet, very upset. <laughs> So going back to the <laughs> omen curse, we're talking about Maggie's the curse drugged of my up dog. crazy dog. The, dr- the, the drugged up curse of queso? Yeah. So other stuff that happened was like um, Richard Donner, who's the director, his uh, hotel was bombed by the IRA right after they shot that safari park scene. Um, Gregory Peck's son had actually killed himself shortly before, which I guess doesn't necessarily count. I wouldn't count count that towards the curse. I think that was an entirely different scenario because he did the movie only because of that. You're right. And although it apparently did have quite an effect on him, apparently it was very difficult for him to shoot the scene where he's supposed to stab Damien because he wasn't comfortable pretend murdering a son so close to his actual son having killed himself, which um, obviously we, we joke around about a lot, but that's... A very sad thing. That a very serious him. sad thing. I know he wasn't home when his son did kill himself. And Gregory Peck was partially in retirement at the time and was convinced, I believe by his agent, to that he needed to like throw himself into something. And so he picked this role partially because he thought it would help him get over the idea like of him being with his son and his fictional son in this movie. Yeah. While he wasn't able to be with his actual son in real life when his son did kill himself. Yeah. And... Actually, Gregory Peck took a pretty low salary for this movie, too. Really? He only, I think it was $250,000 was oh, his salary. Wow. It was a pretty low budget movie in general. It, it was, was only like a $2.8 million movie. Well, so once Gregory Peck was signed on, that's kind of how they got everyone else to agree to it. 
But Gregory Peck was also given a portion of the box office. Oh, that's profit. smart. And because this movie did so well in the yeah, box office, it made sixty point nine million. Yeah, it ended up being like the highest paying role of Gregory Peck's career. Wow! So he got to really put himself into something, which was difficult at times. Probably helped him work through some stuff too, which is really great. Yeah, and also ended up being a great bit of money for him, even though he signed on for not that much. Yeah. So. Hopefully good things for Gregory Peck. Yeah, I think he's dead now, right? I'm sorry, I don't know why I said it in that way. <laughs> what I meant was What I meant was we're not like on here talking about Gregory Peck's like Gregory terrible Peck things that he went through did when he's die still like around two thousand three, okay. so he has been dead for about fourteen years. Okay. Rest in peace to Gregory Peck. We love him. Yeah, no, I'm just happy that this movie was able to do some really great things for him, both in his personal life and in his fiscal life. Yeah. William Holden was originally considered for the role of um, Robert Thorne, and he turned it down because he didn't like the weird religious quality of it. Like, he thought it might be anti-religious. Understandable. I mean... He didn't want to be a, in a movie about the devil, basically. Um, but he did end up being in, in the sequel. Um, there's a sequel? Oh, girl. There's been so many of these movies. I've only watched this one. And then the Julia Stiles remake. I think it's fair to assume that if there's a horror movie, there's a sequel. That's true. I will also say that having only seen the Julia Stiles remake before this, it was actually a really pleasant experience watching this movie. Nice. There were things I didn't quite remember because, I mean, I watched the Julia Stiles one when I was in high school. It was right. a while ago. But also... I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. I thought this movie was going to be in black and white because the posters are in black and white. They are. The only other thing I've seen Gregory Peck in was in black and white. But that was a long time before this because that was when he was still... Yeah, but I didn't know what time those movies came out. I don't know things, Maggie. <laughs> You're saying it was like I should know when movies stopped being black and white. I don't. Before 1976. Apparently. <laughs> How often do I watch movies that came out before 1976? Girl, your loss then... Agreed, yes. We're going to watch some old shit for this podcast. Everything I watch that's old and great is usually in black and white. It's like, I just kind of skip the 70s usually. I watch like 60s and 50s or like 80s and later. Okay. Well, just, we're, we're going to fix that for the this. The 70s are an unknown time for me. We're going to get you some 70s action. But so thinking that this movie was going to be black and white was also a nice, uh, you know, Yeah, because then you can see that house in full color. And like Gregory Peck's gray hair he's, in See, he's dreamy. Okay, you talk shit about me thinking he's dreamy. That's a dreamy man. I don't think I've talked shit. I just have said that I personally don't find him dreamy. He's very dreamy. Sure. Enjoy your dreams. I'll have different dreams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Overall, The Omen, though, I mean, it's a great movie. It, it's a classic. It is, and I understand why. Like, watching it, I will say... Anyone who knows me knows I sleep through movies all the time. You do. It's very rare that I make it like 20 sometimes, to 30 minutes in. Sometimes you sleep through them in the theater. Also true. I've fallen asleep in many theaters. Did you fall asleep during The Boy? I did not. I just laughed my ass <laughs> off the entire time and almost got into the fight with the people behind me. Oh, they wanted to punch me. We should do that as an Let's episode. Let's not go see a movie that's really bad opening weekend again because I will laugh a lot People who actually think it's scary will take offense. What we gotta do? I might get into a fight in the middle of IKEA later in the day. We have to do what we did for Paranormal Activity, which is we have to go in drunk like a month after. Is we have to go in like a month after, 
when no one else is in there and we have to just yell the have entire like four time. people yell. We have to bring our friend Mark with us so that he can come up with a a, uh, a fun theory like he did with Paranormal Activity. Where he decided that the villain of Paranormal Activity was actually a velociraptor. I gotta tell you, by the end of that movie, I bought that theory. I, I, was, I was like, convinced. it seems like he might be a raptor. Seems legit. Seems like a raptor. So, yes. And that is a much better way to enjoy a... Bad to decent. I'm paranormal activity is decent. Yeah, I'm gonna make a hot take here and say that the boy is a bad movie. (laughs) I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's just a fact. It's pretty bad. Sorry, guys. It's not good. She's trying. Maggie from The Walking Dead is trying, and I love her because her name is the is is the Maggie. Her name is the Maggie. Her name is Maggie. And and I respect that. I like I have to support other Maggies, even if she's not a literal Maggie. She's just See, a- there very rarely are characters named Maddie. It's happened a couple of times. There's not that many Maggies, which is when I like I have to kind of cling to them when they show up, you know? So yeah. I'm a I'm a big Lauren Cohen supporter just because she played a Maggie. Anyway, so that about wraps it up for our discussion of The Omen. Yeah, I think that's pretty much... I'm sure it's not all there is to say. I'm there's sure we a, could go on for a lot longer. There's a lot but, more to say, but honestly, we've been talking for a while. I think we've covered the main points. I think that we have. So what are we watching next, Maggie? Well, I was thinking... Just kidding. This was your idea. This is actually I want to give idea. you credit for this. Um, next week, we're going to watch The Witch. Which should be a lot of fun. Which witch? Which should be a lot of fun. Hey! I'm going to stay awake through it this time. Um, I've already fallen asleep through it once, which is not a condemnation of the movie The Witch, but rather a condemnation of my ability to stay awake during movies. I have been wanting to watch this movie for a really long time. I have not yet, but I saw a lot of really great Black Phillip outfits for Halloween, and definitely had some spoilers because of it, so that kind of sucks. But you know what? It came out a while ago. It's yeah. my own fault for not having seen it. Yeah, so we're going to watch that. That's going to be our next thing. Um, we're bringing it forward a little bit to a more recent movie. We're very excited to see it. We're really excited to talk about it with you guys, so make sure to tune in. It'll be about two weeks till our next episode. Um, in the meantime, if you like this podcast, if you like what you've heard so far, we would love it if you would subscribe on iTunes or wherever. We're up we're, on a few different places. We're available in a lot of places, including Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Overcast, um, a lot of these different places. So please subscribe. And, and please rate and review if you like us. I mean, I guess you can rate and review if you don't like us, too, but just, that seems mean. Whatever. If you have an opinion about us, rate and review. Because Hell, tell us. We're around. We're listening. Yeah, I mean, send me a texty text. Don't. Give out your phone number on the podcast, please. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> um, just reach out to us oh, in man. some way. We're both on Twitter and some other sites. We are. Actually, why don't we drop our Twitter handle while we're at it? That um, sounds great. We so, are. I am Mad Disley. M-A-D-D-I-Z-Z-L-E-E. Um, so you can also follow me on Twitter if you want, but I don't really ever tweet anything. So instead, you should consider following this podcast at Sat14ThPodcast. Uh, and 14 in, in that name is the number one four. Um, TH. TH. So please follow us, SAT14THPodcast. We would love to have you chat with us. We'd love to hear what you think. We're also on Facebook. 
That's just as Saturday the 14th, Yeah, right? so just search Saturday the 14th. We're listed as a podcast. It's a lot of fun. And uh, we look forward to talking to you. We look forward to hearing what you guys think about things. Um, and also um, get excited to watch The Witch with us. It's available on Amazon Prime, so you can watch too. Yay! Check it out before you tune in for the next episode. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have a lot of opinions. We're- I hear there's a cool goat. There's some creepy <laughs> stuff. It's slow at times, but in like a really cool, creepy way. I did one of those online, like turn yourself into something spoopy filters they had for The Witch when they were advertising it. I looked real spoopy, guys. All right. So get spoopy. Get ready. The Witch next two weeks from now, not next week. Sometime soon. Eventually, there'll be an episode that's about The Witch, which is why you have to subscribe, because who knows when it's going to show up. The answer is approximately two weeks from now. Yeah, it'll be about two weeks. Have fun, y'all. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. Take care. Be good. Get home Um, safe. Get home safe and eat your veggies. Mwah.